0: Welcome to the Desert Trade Podcast, the podcast helping you develop Forex training skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Justin Cret. We are in episode 119, a special episode Let's get started right away. I was debating a little bit with myself whether to put this episode on the podcast or not. A few weeks ago, I did a YouTube live video with trader Steve Patterson. Steve came on the podcast a few episodes ago Actually, that was episode 108. But I decided to bring Steve back to discuss some of the questions that a lot of people ask. We talk about a lot of questions posted in the Facebook group, such as routines, how much money you need to trade, what is the best trading style, how to get a feel for the market, and kind of what you can expect if you want to become a professional trader like Steve is. I decided to put this in the podcast, mainly because of the good feedback that came on YouTube with that video. So I hope you'll appreciate and I'll help you get some value. Without further ado, please help me welcome a multiple market trader with over 37 years of experience, Steve Patterson. So Steve, the first thing I want to ask you is what's new since we last spoke in August?
1: Um, yeah, just uh, doing my thing. Uh, we got earnings season right now. So, um, you know, I'm always excited about earnings season. It's the time when we make the most amount of money and volatility finally comes back into the market. And so really just staying busy with the earnings season and pretty much that's all I do at I just work all the time. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> my fiance always tells me that, you know, we don't do anything. It was really kind of funny because uh, for Halloween, it's actually our anniversary and she loves to dance. And because of my hearing and having hearing problems, I can't go to loud clubs very often because it can affect my hearing. So I actually took some plugs, put them in my ear, and we went out dancing. So that was my big excitement, other than trading.
0: (laughs) Cool. Awesome. Awesome. And maybe for people watching this for the first time and seeing you the first time, could you introduce yourself a little bit and tell them a little bit what you trade and kind of your trading style also?
1: Sure. Well, for those of you watching, hello and thank you for watching. I've been trading really for about 38 years now. I started out when I was a young man, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I had no questions, I wanted to work in finance. So I dropped out of high school at a very young age and I went straight downtown to um, Toronto's version of Wall Street, which is Bay Street. And I got a job, any job that I could get. And I got a job as a messenger and I worked my way up through that eventually became a stockbroker until the crash of 1987. When the market crashed in 87, I really was lost. I didn't know what to do because I realized I was in a business that I knew nothing about what things were actually doing. And I started to learn how to trade. I worked with several locals on the floor, and I eventually just networked my way into meeting the right people. Eventually, I started working with a guy that worked for Deutsche Bank and another guy that worked for Goldman Sachs, and I started to learn some of the techniques and things that they did. And so little bit by little bit, piece by piece, I've just been continually adding to my repertoire of information. So here it is 37 years later, I've worked at five of the top prop firms in the world as a fully funded trader, which basically means that they give me their money I trade their money, and we do a split basis. Currently, right now, I'm actually very excited to start a new phase in my life where I'm starting my own hedge fund with a few real estate billionaires who are personal friends of mine. I've finally been able to talk into getting into trading, and so I finally convinced them to put up some money, get out of real estate, and finally start to get into the financial market. That's very exciting. I'm very happy about that.
0: Well, yeah, pretty impressive. 37 years of experience in the market. That's a lot. And I guess you've learned a lot. We have a couple of questions we planned first. Some questions that my listeners had. I want to first go with the pre and post trading routines. So what do you do before you start to trade and then after you trade? Do you have any routines you do all the time? Routines? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question and one that I'm a very, very big believer in. So I want to really encourage you to buy a book, actually. There's a book out there by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. And I got to tell you, that book made a tremendous impact on my trading simply by understanding that you know, when we trade, what are we really doing? Like, it's very similar to martial arts. Many of you will go and you'll backtest after hours. I'm sure all of you do it. You learn this technique. You go back in the chart. You start testing it out and say, oh, my God, this works. It works great, right? And you say, "This, this is an amazing system, amazing strategy. But the market turns on. The charts start moving up and down, and you're not able to do it. Why is that? And the main reason why you're not able to do it is because you haven't established the right habits and that book will help you build the right habits so to answer your question specifically, I have a very strict routine I go to bed every night at ten o'clock right I don't usually don't stay up later than ten o'clock because I need about eight hours sleep and I'll wake up around six the next morning and from six o'clock I literally will go and I'll drink the same thing every morning. I go down a big glass of water, squeeze a lemon in it, and I drink just a big glass of lemon water. I go back up, I basically do some stretches, some meditation, and then I turn my charts on, right? And once I'm in the right state of mind to be able to face the markets, realizing that I'm calm, I'm relaxed, I'm not anxious, I'm not overly, tired i get myself in a good state of mind then i turn my charts on and then i start to deal with all the information that comes in and so by the time the market opens by the time well forex opens earlier than that but you know usually there's 8 30 reports out so if i get up at six i'm usually ready to go for those 8 30 reports to take advantage of that 8:30 report give myself two and a half hours to get ready and i'm going to tell you something if you just wake up, turn your charts on, you are in so much trouble.
0: You That's are the emotion,
1: the emotion is just going to come in. So many things are going to start bar- barraging you, and it's just going to be, and again, like the power of habit says, you know, once you break that little habit, you're out of your you're out of your routine. Now you're like a, a boxer who is now wrestling. You've practiced all this boxing. But now you're wrestling and you're like, what do I do, right? So it's really super, super important that you develop the right habits and routines. I'm a big, big, big believer in that.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that one. And this is something I've done before, trading, like looking at the chart without being ready to look at the chart and just jumping in and always make mistakes, a really bad uh, decision. But yeah, that's a really good one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Are there any of books that would like to recommend traders in general? I'm sorry? Are there any of books that you would like to recommend traders? Yeah,
1: sure. There's, um, you know, it's funny because it's one of the very first things that my students always ask me because usually people will book me in advance and they'll say, you know, in the meantime, Steve, what can we read to kind of become good traders? And the funny thing is, is The greatest books about trading are not about trading. (laughs) It's ironic, but the best books about trading have nothing to do with the technical parts of trading. Some books that I highly, highly, highly recommend, obviously, are Reminiscence of a Stock Operator by Jesse Livermore. I've probably read that book without exaggeration 15 times. It's that important. All the Market Wizard books, the big, big believer in the Market Wizard books, just to kind of give you something to emulate and it's really important that you have something to emulate next i would read Einrand. Rand. i don't know if you're familiar with ayn Rand. a-y-n some people call her Anne, but it's ayn Rand. r-a-n-d and one of the greatest trading books ever written is called fountainhead and the other one is atlas shrugged and you might say to me why are those two trading books really important because they teach you how to think objectively. And the one thing that traders don't do is they do not think objectively. Traders have a tendency to think impulsively, emotionally, not look at facts, but value opinions and beliefs over the facts. And if you went and worked on Wall Street or you went and worked on Bay Street, back in the day, Ayn Rand was recommended reading for everybody that works on Wall Street, no matter what you worked in, because objectivity is your best friend.
0: Very interesting. And next question I want to ask you is, do you feel like a professional trader right now? Or how can we, as like beginning traders, feel more like one? Are there things we can do?
1: (laughs) I love these questions. This is so much fun. (laughs) Do I feel like a professional trader? No, I just feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) I really just feel really old and tired really most of the time I'm joking, but no, I don't really think, I don't believe in the word professional trader. I really don't because I think that when you assume you're a professional trader, it implies that you've arrived and you've achieved something. And I think that is every time I thought I knew what I was doing, Every time I thought, ah, I got it, I understand this, I ended up blowing an account shortly afterwards. And I'd be like sitting there saying, thought I had this, what the heck? And so many years ago, I learned that I'm never a professional trader unless I get a salary. So if you're getting a salary, like the new job that I'm starting, I'm actually structured it so that... not taking any money out of the fund i'm keeping all of my money in the fund i am receiving a salary so that i can pay my living expenses and i think when you can get a salary then you would feel like a professional trader but i think whenever you're dependent upon the market for results it's a very bad idea to think that you feel like a professional trader because You're like an athlete. And I mean, I guess there's professional athletes who get salaries, but you're gonna get paid on your performance and Mm -hmm. you always have to stay on the top of your game. So thinking I'm a professional, meaning that, I guess in the standard term of a professional, meaning that, you know, this is an income, I think is a really bad way to think, right? So do I feel like a professional trader? No, I do not. Primarily because I just find it more advantageous to just think of myself as someone who's constantly learning, constantly adapting, constantly changing. The things that I do now are, might be different in another month from now when volatility dries up and we don't
0: have earnings season. Am I discretionary? Yeah, or? that's the next question. So we have uh, two people running right now. We have Rylan and Nova. Rylan is asking... Are you a discretionary trader or are you systematic? So I'm curious to know which one.
1: Well, I'm I'm discretionary, obviously, because I'm constantly in search of edge. I'm constantly in search of market inefficiencies, but I do it in a systematic way. Right? And a lot of people don't understand that even an algo is systematic, is discretionary because an algo will search for edge. And once it finds that edge, it will systematically exploit that edge. So the standard tip uh, answer is that I am a discretionary trader, meaning I'm constantly looking. I spend all of my time looking for opportunity for market inefficiency. And that's what I do. But then when I find market inefficiency, I'm systematic in my application of exploitation.
0: Nice. And another question people ask all the time, and this is common in the trading uh... Trading world, but what trading strategies can people use in the market? I know you've done some research and you've tried different things. You were telling me that you started with uh, Bollinger Band, I think, and indicators, and now you have almost no indicators. So, what are the strategies people can use?
1: Well, you know, I think you got. Here's the funny
0: thing: is you know,
1: again, back in the day, we had to pay for indicators. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it's funny, it's hilarious, but back in the day, Wells Wilder and all these people used to develop these indicators and we had to pay $100, 200 $300 for them because they were the panacea of being able to exploit market conditions. So I've tried them all, right? There's nothing that I have not spent weeks, months, in some cases, years and multiple years on. And some are good and some are better than others. But I think the best way you want to look at using an indicator is, does it give you a view of the market that you understand? So I'm not against indicators, but you have to put together a bunch of indicators that tell you a story that makes sense to you, right? And I think that's really where a lot of people start to misuse indicators because they start to rely on them right so they start to say well i've made a decision because i saw something in the market i saw an inefficiency i thought that apple was rejecting an area and it's going to go down or up to another area and so then they have these indicators that go to confirm that apple is you know going to go higher or lower whatever it is and they have the idea of the trade based on the big picture. So they have, you know, Keltner bands or whatever they have on their chart, and they have this idea. And then what happens is the trade goes against them. And then they start to say, but my indicator is telling me that this trade should be doing something opposite of what it's actually doing. And that is a tremendous, tremendous problem because the thing that was helping you get a vantage point on your idea, now turns into something that you're leaning against like a crutch, right? So the trade's not working, you're not accepting reality, but the indicator's still telling you it's overbought, oversold, so it has to do something. And then therefore, you know, people get wiped out because they're trusting this indicator. So that's my problem with indicators. I've just seen so many people use them as an excuse to rely on something that isn't working. And you have to accept the, again, going back to the book I recommended, which is Ayn Rand, you have to accept objective reality. If the trade is not working, the trade's not working, it's just not working. You're losing money, you're out of the trade, right? Looking for excuses, indicators give you too many excuses. If I were to look at an indicator, and if someone were to say to me, Steve, what indicators would you use? The indicators I found extremely helpful are Keltner bands. Okay? And the reason why those are helpful, you've got to realize why you're using your indicator. The reason why Keltner bands are helpful is because if I were to show you statistically that a market for almost 90% of the time is going to stay within 1%, in other words, 90% of the time, a market is not going to move more than 1% on any asset. of the time I can show you spreadsheet after spreadsheet after spreadsheet. So a countner band is really important because it will tell you from the point that you're at right now, what is one standard deviation, what is two standard deviations away from that point. So a countner band is an indicator that is powerful because when you get two standard deviations away from the mean, the probabilities mathematically based over a very large sample size mean that that asset is probably going to reverting to the mean. But it's not because the indicator is something special. It's just that the indicator is playing the probability based upon a large statistic. So okay. counterbands. bands, I use them for a very long period of time. Any indicator that measures volatility, I highly recommend because volatility really is the one thing that retail traders really don't understand the significance of, right? And I find that not enough talk is spent on volatility and what is volatility? That means, you know, how quickly is something going from point A to point B? So any indicator that measures volatility, like the ATR, I use it all the time, still to this day, I use it, right, the average true range, because it's telling me how fast something is moving. So what does that mean? I have an idea that Apple's going to go from 100 to 110. Volatility is contextually high. So what that means is that if I'm aware that volatility is contextually high, Apple should go from... 100 to 110 very fast, right? Because volatility is high. If volatility is low and Apple, I'm expecting Apple to go from 100 to 110, it means that I expect it to take a while to get there. So, really important, you put a trade on. Everybody thinks the second they should put their trade on, the trade should move. But if you have the wrong expectation of how that trade should move, if the trade should take one day to get there, but it's taking five, your idea is wrong. If the trade <clears> should take 10 days to get there, but it's taking one, right, something's wrong too. Take your profits. right? So to answer your question, any indicator that measures deviations from normal and measures the momentum and speed or volatility of a market, I think are useful as long as you do not rely on them to make the decision, as long as they're just giving you a confirmation of that decision. Mm -hmm. Did that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Really useful. And then the next question to this is how do you create a full strategy with this? Because there's so many indicators, so many possibilities. Are there like some parts you put together yourself to have a winning strategy?
1: When somebody uses the word strategy, I think that... It implies I'm going to go to the market every day and I'm going to look for something that is going to happen. And I think a lot of people have a big problem there because it's kind of like a poker game. Let me give you an analogy. Anybody guys a fan of poker? One of the greatest poker players ever is a guy by the name of Phil Ivey, right? Now, Phil Ivey kind of sums it up really well. He says he never has an idea of what he's going to do until he gets to the game. And then he adjusts his strategy based upon the game. So I think that when people use the word strategy, they're looking for something that's a rules-based set of procedures they can go through every day that's going to produce some type of amount of money. And I think that's a bad way of looking at things. Because if markets are chaotic 90% of the time, then yes, history is gonna repeat itself, but not in the exact same way. It's gonna repeat itself in a similar way. So if you have a quote unquote, rather than a strategy, if you have a way of thinking, in other words, when I turn on my charts in the morning, I let the market tell me what's going on, right? So if you think about the last five days, you turn your charts on, the market's super volatile. It's flying around like crazy. There's an earnings report out. You know, you start looking for things. Well, the next day you turn your charts on and market's hardly moving. There's very, very low volatility, right? Everything is in a tight range. Everything is not moving, right? And then there's things in between, right? So that's the kind of way I view trading, Etienne. I I kind of view trading from the perspective that I let the market tell me what it's going to do. And then kind of like a surfer, are the waves really big today? Okay. If the waves are really big, I'm going to surf it differently. If the waves are medium and I'm going to surf it differently if the waves are small. So I think when people develop strategies, their strategy has to be, has to have the ability to change and adapt with the market conditions. Right? So How do you create a strategy with those different parts? You create a thinking process. Okay, I know that the waves are really big today and volatility is really crazy. therefore, I want to exploit that, which means that I must use wide stops today. Because in a high volatile market, I've got to give enough room for that volatility to allow my situation to play out, right? If it's really high volatility, I got to wait for really super extreme levels, right? So I have a strategy that says, when I turn on my charts, based upon what the market is telling me it wants to do on that day, I now have a method of exploiting that situation. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. (laughs) A little bit the way I trade. So I won't just look and place trades based on the indicator or something. I'll look at what the market's doing first and then react to that basically with different strategies. Now, Steve, for a day like today, how would you trade exactly? So maybe explain what today was in the market and how you would trade for a day like today.
1: Sure. Well, today was a pretty low volatility day. I mean, I'm gonna talk about the spider here, but it could be any asset, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was trading some Forex pairs today, but I was in a correlation hedge trade. so. So on a day like today, when I were to look, if I were to look at the S&P 500, basically the market gapped up slightly, came down, closed the gap and really went sideways for most of the day. Well, by 1030, I knew that the market was gonna be very low volatility. The two reports were out of the way and the market was really not expanding. It was just completely random. So on a random day, I know that I have to be extremely selective in my entries because I know that if randomness is there, that I have to wait for extreme levels. I have to wait for price to come to me, right? I'm not gonna be in any rush to get into the market because if I'm gonna rush in and I'm gonna use a good stop, chances are I'm probably gonna get stopped out on that quite a bit because it's random. So it's not moving in a directional manner, it's moving in a very random manner. So that's a way where I would adjust what I'm doing and I say, okay, today I gotta be very, very patient. Wait for the market to come to an extreme, either buy or sell that extreme for a mean revision because on a random day, we are gonna most likely revert to a mean. So this would be a day where It's just gonna be a fade trade, if you will. I'm not gonna look for anything uh, directional. Now, the other thing is that I do that, um, somebody says, how would you trade today? One of the things that I specifically do and why I trade so many assets, and you could do it in Forex too, is don't just trade the Euro, okay? Don't just trade the GBP. Don't just trade the GBP pound. I, I teach my students to be exploitationists, right go find go and find spend time finding where there is a strong edge in your favor and i think too many people i'm a euro trader (laughs) and you know or they're obsessed because they took two losses on the euro now they want to get their money back right so they're stuck on the euro you know when i lose on one asset I really try very quickly to leave that asset and go find something else because that asset hates me today, right? And I don't try to get my money back on it. I try to go and find something else. A lot of times I, I do you know, get stuck there and I'll take one or two or three trades. But when I am in a good state, I'll leave that asset and go and find something. So the trick is to find opportunity and spend your time searching right? Spend your time searching. That's why I'm a believer that stocks are better than Forex for most people because you just have more choices in the stock market. Not that you can't make money in Forex because you can, but you have more choice. I got 5,000 stocks I can search for. I can find tons of opportunity. Really, how many liquid currency pairs do I have? I got seven or eight countries, right? So, there are less opportunities. And when you have less opportunities, you have to be far more patient. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. And I see stock traders who trade more, they have more trades they can put in. And sometimes it's something that I kind of struggle with because with only Forex, I only have like one basic thing to trade, which can be hard sometimes. And I know right now we have a couple of people watching this who are a big fan of backtesting. They've been testing their edge on different currency pairs. But the question is, how do you know when you trade something on one asset? How do you know it's going to be working for another asset?
1: Um well, that's an excellent question. I love that question. Thank you. The first thing you should do when you're trying to trade is you, you've got to learn who you're trading against. <laughs> and I just find this so I find it so funny that so many people don't see the obvious, right? When we were on the floor, the big floor traders. We're trying to hide their orders from us, right? Because they were our competition, meaning that if we got a better fill than they did, it was less volume than they could do. They don't want us knowing what we were doing, what they were doing, so they would try to hide it, right? So I quickly realized that my competition was other traders, right? Other traders don't want you to know what they're doing, so they try to hide it and it's a zero sum game, it's very much like poker, right? I am trading against smart money ever, but I'm trying to figure out what smart money's doing. Because when I can understand the business models of smart money, how do they make decisions? Do they just wake up and flip a coin? You know, oh, we're gonna buy, right? No, so you have to, when you're trading any market, whether it's copper, gold, silver, currencies, stocks, you have to understand the business model behind those players that are moving 90% of the volume, right? So the irony is, is how do you know a methodology works on another asset is that at the end of the day, they all make decisions to make money, right? I mean, they're all in business to make money. So how they make money, when you figure that part out, then you can now join them. You say, okay, well, I know they make money this way, right? I know that this guy goes down, he milks his cow in the morning at six o'clock, he takes the bucket of milk, he goes to the local dealer who he sells the milk to, the local dealer who buys the milk goes to the big wholesaler who then takes the money from the wholesaler and puts it into a national distribution channel. And when you understand that process, and it's the same, no matter whether you're in the stock business, whether you're in the milk business, whether you're in the shoe business, there is a process that everybody goes through that makes money. And all along the way, they all make money in different ways by taking a little piece, a little piece, a little piece, a little piece and passing it on. If you think about it, a forex asset starts out at, you know, 1.1000, by the time it gets to 1.2000, all the people involved have taken their piece of the pie. It's no different. You've got all these players that are involved in this market that are all taking a piece of pie and they all have different business models that they that they use. So whether you're trading stocks, Forex, the players change a little bit right? But their business model doesn't change at all, right? A middleman is a middleman, a wholesaler is a wholesaler, the manufacturer is the manufacturer, if you will, like in terms of the forex market, you could think of the central banks as the manufacturers. Whatever the Fed does, it's going to affect money supply, right? So the Fed's printing money and they are releasing that money in US dollars into the economy, they're the manufacturer. Right? So you want to find out what the manufacturer's doing. Are they increasing money supply? Are they decreasing money supply? Are they raising interest rates? Are they decreasing interest rates? Become a specialist or understand at least exactly how the Fed works, exactly how the ECB works. How do they raise money supply? How do they decrease money supply? Where is that reported? So again, the answer to your question is: when you have a methodology, your methodology should be to investigate what moves markets. And then spend your time not on the charts. Spend your time learning about these professionals that are all taking their little piece along the way and join them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, whether you're in the milk business, the shoe business, stock business, the forex business, everybody's making money. How are they doing it? And it should work across all asset classes. You just have to adjust for the different professionals in the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. I like it. And that's why I think if you take only one indicator, it might be tough to trade all different markets because you don't know how people are going to react in different markets. And that can be tricky sometimes, I think. And we have a comment that I found interesting from uh, Nova Prakat too. He says, I heard that the best traders are trading without indicators. They try to get the feel of the market without them. So my question for you, Steve, would be, how do you get a feel for the market?
1: Without an indicator?
0: I guess if you use indicators perhaps, but if you use no okay. indicators. How do
1: you get a feel for a an indicator? Well, that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is it's so much easier. <laughs> it's so much easier because you're just watching price, right? I mean, you're just watching the truth. Price never lies, right? So an indicator is telling me what price did, a couple of bars, eight, 10, 14 bars ago, right? Um, price is telling me what reality is, right? It's telling me, listen, this is not overbought. It keeps going higher, right? But the indicator is telling me it's overbought, right? So how do you how do you get a feel for that? Um, I'll give you a fun little exercise and just try it. Just turn on any asset and put the bid ask spread up on your chart. Okay. So I don't know what platform you use. I'm not sure if MT4 can do it, but some platforms can. Just put the bid-ask spread up on your chart, okay? So watch, you guys can't see level two, so it's another way. Just watch how it's moving between that bid-ask spread and watch how that bid-ask spread, if it's moving higher or lower. So let me give you an example. Let's just say you're watching price and price is right here and it ticks the bid, right? Just say in your head, buy just buy, right? And then bid is raised and it ticks it again. Go buy again. Bid is raised, buy again. So say the words, right? I'll actually sit there and get a feel for the markets by going buy, 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 sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. And it sounds really funny. Right? Sounds funny. It makes it, people are going to think you're nuts, right? But I actually will do that. And it's because it's like being on the floor. Right. Imagine that I'm on the floor, and all of a sudden, imagine. Imagine you're trying to make money. You're sitting on the floor of an exchange, and all of a sudden, you know, you hear, sell, sell, sell. How hard is that to, to make money? Right. It's pretty simple. Right. You'd be an idiot to sell. Right. So if you just watch price and in your mind, go buy, sell, buy, sell, 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 buy, and you'll get a pattern. If the market will sing kind of, uh, to you will tell you whether buyers are stronger or sellers are stronger. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's the best way I can say to get a feel for
0: it. <laughs> I think that's, that's really an awesome example. And I love how you can relate this to trading in a, in a, in a floor. I think that's really, really amazing. I like it. And... The other thing with this is, uh, well, so if you guys have any questions, again, just comment below and we'll make sure to answer them. I think this is going to be really, really interesting. The other question I want to ask you is that thing with looking at the, uh, the price and the bid versus the, the ask for the spread. Does it work on a higher time frame or is it only going to be for a lower time frame, like the five minute chart or a tick chart?
1: Well, you can use it. You can use it. tick charts, okay. Either one doesn't matter. I mean, I actually like to use a line chart when I'm doing that. Okay. Because I'm trying to, if I'm trying to get a feel for the market, I find that if you're looking at a candlestick or you're looking at a bar chart, your mind is going to naturally wander to these patterns, right? So when I'm doing that feel, I just want to use a line chart because if you again just think of a line chart, so the market opens and it goes buy 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 buy, so 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 buy 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 buy, so 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 buy 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 buy, so 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 you're gonna very clearly see Mm -hmm. that as you're as you're hearing it right Mm -hmm. so a line chart is really the best way to do that with a bid ask spread if you can okay try that for a week and it will change your life (laughs) you will never look at the markets the same ever again
0: Uh and will that be useful for someone who trades let's say like a forward chart or a daily chart
1: Obviously not. <laughs> okay. So how do you so, adapt this
0: to yeah, getting a feel for the higher time frame?
1: Yeah. I mean, you could theoretically, you could go back in time and run the chart forward to get an idea of a feel for it. I've never done that, but I'm sure theoretically you possibly could. It would probably work the same.
0: Okay. Okay. So you would do the same thing to get a feel for the higher time frame then?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't see why it wouldn't work as long as you're using a big enough sample. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Just to give you an idea that a lot of the times when I say, when I turn on my charts in the morning, I don't, although I accept the reality of what's going on in the chart in that moment, I will a lot of the times back my chart up five or six hours if I'm day trading. And what I'll do is I'll pretend in my mind, go candle by candle, that I'm actually traded the last five or six hours. So let's say I'm trading on a one-minute time frame. I might back it up for an hour or two or three hours because that's going to help me get into where the market is rather than just splash in the cold water. I kind of like to think of it like I'm going to put my foot in, I'm going to walk in slowly, get myself wet slowly until I'm up to here. Now I'm fully alert rather than just boom, there. I'd like to back the chart up and kind of go forward, Gives me a feel for where the market's at. And I kind of play a game in my mind. Oh, I would have taken a long here. Oh, I would have taken a short here. If I was in that short right now, how would I be feeling about that position, right? So I'm in a trade right now. I'm upside down on the trade. Now, if this looked like a very good opportunity to me, now the trade even looks like a better opportunity to me. Cannot tell you how much money I have made doing that. Just by playing that little game, of saying, you know, I would have been long here, and now I'm getting such a better price. I, I like the trade here. I love the trade down here. And a lot of times, if you don't want to go backwards, I have a saying that you can use tomorrow. And I, 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 I'm going to all of the people watching this right now. If you follow the saying, I'm going to guarantee you one thing right now. You will your ratio from wins to losses will increase 15%. I'm going to make it it's that powerful. Okay? Find a very good trade and wait for it to get better. Okay? I'm telling you right now, your win to loss ratio will increase 15 to 20%. So many people say, are just so impulsive. They're, they want to they get into the market because they think the market's going to go somewhere without them. But how many times are you in trade, you're upside down, and you're sitting there, you're saying to yourself, oh my gosh, you know, if I'd just been a little bit more patient. So I have a rule, a little mantra, again, that I play in my mind almost all the time. Every time I'm about to take a trade, I always say, you know what, this is a good trade. I'm going to wait until it turns into a great trade. And sometimes the trade goes without me, and I'm sitting there and I'm very upset. But a lot of times, 80% of the time, I end up getting a better price. I'm going to take a good trade, I'm going to wait until it turns into a great trade. Sometimes when I'm on a losing streak, I've had three or four losers in a row, I have another rule. I say, find a good trade, wait until it turns into a great trade, and then wait again until it turns into an absolute fantastic trade. That's how I pull myself out of so many bad losing streaks. I just wait until things get better and better and better, and it works. It doesn't stop, doesn't stop you from having five losers in a row, but it will slow it down from 10 losers in a row to seven losers in a row, and it really works very well.
0: Wow. I think that's an awesome trick. And one of the quotes that I heard you say a couple of times in the first podcast we did is the market's going to be messy 90% of the time, but you only have to focus on the 10% where it's going to be doing something you recognize. So how do you know when, how do you distinguish a messy market from, let's say, a good market you want to trade?
1: That's an excellent, excellent question, right? And that is exactly, I'm not trying to sound like a salesman right here, right? But that's exactly what i have spent so much time developing right i had to find a way to quantify chaos right and i had to come up with a way of saying okay this could be chaos this might be chaos this should be chaos and you know it took me so much time i 10 15 years to really come up with a system of quantifying chaos. So in other words, I want to have a methodology that says, okay, there's several pieces of the puzzle, right? There's price movement, there is volatility, there is how fast something is moving, how slow something is moving, there is what could be non-random or is going to be random, And so I put together, that's what my course teaches, is my course teaches exactly that, how to distinguish chaos versus, and I want to say this carefully, chaos versus possible, possible order, because that's all I really know. So what I do is I come up with a way that I can say, okay, probability speaking, the market is 50% chaotic right now. 50% directional, 60% chaotic right now, 30% directional. And so what I'm doing is I'm constantly applying different filters until I get to the point where I say, probability is that I have an 80% directional edge in this particular situation. Will it continue from this minute forward? I don't know, but it has been up until this minute. So do I know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours? No, I don't. I'd have no clue. But I know I have a probability based upon what I've seen so far in the contextual time frame, right? And so that's all I'm doing because, listen, here's the beauty of just watching price, folks. Institutions can hide everything but price. <laughs> they can hide volume, right? They can hide everything but price because if a campaign is going on, an institutional campaign to buy or sell something is going on, the price is gonna move, right? But how it's moving is really the most important question, right? How it's moving is by far the most important question because it's gonna tell me what the smart money thinks of the situation, right? If price is moving up very fast, in a specific way, and I teach you how to quantify that, most of the time it means that the institution or the smart money is in a very big rush to get that asset. Why are they in a rush to get that asset, right? Because they understand that it's moving to a certain level and they have to get in before demand or supply comes into the market. So how do you distinguish messy market from a good market? it's going to take me literally three months to six months to to answer that question and show you different examples, right? So there's no easy answer. The easy answer is, I'll give you an easy answer, except obvious, right? Look at a chart, stand back five feet from it, bring a 12 year old over, you know, a 12 year old daughter Mm -hmm. or son and say, look at that. Is it going up or down or is it just a mess? And if the, the 12-year-old can say, well, that's going up, buy it, right? And if the 12-year-old says, that's just a mess, then, it, then don't go near it. I mean, it, that's the easy answer. To get a very, very detailed answer of it, I do have a way, specific way of doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. And then if you find the market to be, let's say, trending, let's say, so you ask your a 12-year-old and he says trending, or does say not trend, how would you place your stop-loss in that case? Is there like a specific way or it's always going to be different
1: there are times when you can use extremely extremely tight stops because the market is dictating that that's what you can do and there are times when you're going to have to give the market more room and again this is where i think that a lot of retail traders do not spend enough time really mastering what is volatility what exactly does it mean and how does it affect how you have to behave Right. And kind of a way I like to think about it is um, imagine you've got a wife and you know, she's the type she's from Greece. <laughs> I'm joking around. My one of my ex-wives was from Greece. And she was a very volatile woman. She's very emotional. She used to be very, you know, throw things at me. And I mean, she's a very volatile <laughs> woman. She used to punch me. I mean, I'm not joking. And I loved her. She wasn't she wasn't a bad thing. She was just a volatile, emotional person. And I had to be very careful about how I say things around her because if I said the wrong thing or looked the wrong direction, she'd beat me up. And I had another wife, you know, these are generalizations of nothing against racial or anything. Another wife who's Chinese. And she was very passive. She was very, very not volatile at all. I mean, I'd, I'd have to literally poke her with a stick to get her to move. And markets are the same way, right? I mean, The market is going to behave, think of volatility like that. You've got to understand that whenever you're dealing with the market, I'd like to refer to the market as a woman all the time, because I literally look at the market like, a woman. how is she behaving today? Can I, do I have to be very careful in this situation, or can I give this situation a lot more room? So volatility is like that. It will dictate to you what you can and cannot get away with, because if, if you're out on a date with that Greek girl and you look at another girl, you're going to get your head chopped off. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. bad analogy, but I'm just having a little fun here.
0: Now, people wow, are laughing at wife punching you. It's pretty interesting, pretty funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. She actually did punch me in the face several I mean, once I was looking, watching a commercial, and I didn't even know there was a commercial with a girl in the bikini, and she literally punched me in the face, and I said, what was that for you were looking at the girl in the bikini. I said, no, oh, I was looking at the TV.
0: <laughs> anyway. Nice. nice. And one thing I want to make very clear is that people can come into trading with different expectations. And we, like, this is something I hear all the time. People are wondering how much they can make per month or what return they should expect to get, or maybe what money they should start with to trade. So what expectation do you think people should have when they come to trading? Exposure. Uh so, some expectation. What should they expect as their return or oh, their month?
1: Another great question. I love these live stuff. This is so <laughs> great. Um, I love them. That's a really beautiful question. And I'm really glad you asked that question. I spend my entire life, if you will, for the last five years since I've been in the education business trying to fix people's expectations. Because you know, every time I turn on YouTube. Binary options, I took $100 to $20,000 in 3.4 seconds. And, you know, all of my competitors love to tell you how much money you're going to make, right? And I mean, we're in the greed business, right? So we're selling greed. If you really think about what an educator does, he's selling greed, he's selling you the greed of money, right? And there's only one other business that you can be in that is more powerful, and that's when you're selling sex, right? So we're in the two (laughs) most powerful businesses, right? Greed. And, you know, most people, what's the first thing you do when you look at an educator's website? You go and you find out how much money either he's making or how much money his students say they're making. And that's what makes you, you look at their past performance, their track record, Right. And that's what gets you excited. And that's what motivates you. Now, that's probably one of the worst things you can do. Because, first of all, just because somebody is making some amount of money does not mean you can make that amount of money. Now, I'll give you an example. At one of the prop firms I was recently working at, I was sitting beside a 23 year old Asian girl. Okay? 23 years old. This girl was 23 years old. She was a math whiz, really good with numbers. And she didn't even look at charts. She was just staring at level two in depth of screen all day long. And this girl made about five times what I made, right? I mean, she's making a huge amount of money. She's clearing an insane amount of money that she was averaging in the area of like 170 to $180,000 a month. That's after she split with the firm, right? So, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching, hmm, maybe I'm gonna learn something, right? So she was right beside me, we were friends, right? And this is just a recent example. Well, I mean, you know, maybe I should be looking at level two a little bit more, maybe it's gonna help my trading. So I went and I, you know, talked to her for, You know, a month, two months, watch what she did, you know, my income went down because what she was doing, I my brain could not process it. I'm sure that maybe if I worked at it for a very, very long time, I could become better at it. But I just started losing money in the first month, the second month from trying to add that into my trading. So just because somebody is doing something doesn't necessarily mean that you can do it, right? Doesn't mean that you can do it. It's good for me to look at her and take a little bit from it, but I had to find what works for me because, like I said, I have to find how the market makes sense to me. Do I see this inefficiency and can I exploit this inefficiency? Is it something that I can do? Right? So, to answer the question, I apologize. Just because if somebody's making money doesn't mean you're going to. And I have many students that make more money than I do right now, believe it or not they do they they make more money than i do because they're younger or i have one student that makes millions of dollars a year because he has a family from taiwan and they gave him a million dollars of basically play money to try out so starting bank for all age the amount of time you can put into something those are all going to affect your outcome uh, of whether or not you're gonna make money. But a realistic expectation, a rule of thumb, you are a rock star if you can make 10% per month. That's a kind of rule of thumb. Anybody that's telling you more than that is basically not gonna have longevity. Yes, you can make 100% a month. Yes, you can even make 200% a month. Are you going to be able to do that repeatedly and repeatedly over five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty 10, 20 years? No. You're a rock star. If you can make 10% a month, that is a great return on your money. And if you can make 10% a month, people are going to throw money at you or hire you, or you're going to get hired at prop firms. No problem. That should be your goal. Your goal should be nothing more than that. And, you know, try to start out making two percent a month, and then see if you can do three percent a month, and then see if you can do three and a half percent a month. It's going to be years before you can consistently, is the keyword word, make 10 percent a month. I'd be very happy if when my students come to me, within three months, they stop losing money, and that is, I give them a money-back guarantee on that. I say, "I don't know if you're going to be profitable but I'm gonna guarantee you this. In three months from now, you're gonna be, you're not gonna lose money anymore. I guarantee you that much. How much you make beyond that, some will go on to make five or six or 10% right away. Some will take longer. Some students take two years or three years to average 10% a month, right? So there's so many individual factors that go into how much you're gonna make, but 10% a month is a realistic goal for if you're starting today, in three to five years from now, 10% a month would put you as a rock star. Mm-hmm.
0: Love it, love it. And I'm pretty happy to have someone just say it and like have clear things to expect, but not crazy expectations. So I really love that you're sharing some good information that people at least have something to base themselves on. Now we have a comment that I found really interesting and I've been talking about that for a long time. Comment is about the fact that if you have a small account, you could risk more, and I totally don't agree with that. But tell me your opinion. on This ten percent for a bigger account, right? So smaller account, you can risk more. Um, you know, here, here's the
1: thing. There's a couple of approaches you can take, and I've tried both. Okay. Let's say you have a ten thousand dollar account. Take a thousand dollars. Take nine thousand dollars. Leave it in your bank. Put a $1,000 in an account and go crazy. Try to knock it out of the ballpark. Really try to get those trades that are 5 to 1, 6 to 1, 10 to 1, right? Or really try to do that. Break it into 10 separate pieces. And then if I have a small account, I'd break it into small account. Because he's absolutely right. This is one of the things that nobody will tell you in this business, especially educators, is nobody wants to tell you that unfortunately your chances of making it with a small account are almost zero, almost zero. Okay. You just, there's two, the cost of commission is too high. And you might say, I don't pay commission. I pay a spread. Same thing, right? The cost of commission is too high. The commission cost in this business, you have to average three to one on your money just to overcome commission. Right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why people make a lot of money is because they don't pay a lot of commission. They have special arrangements, volume arrangements, Mm -hmm. and that's how they can overcome commission. But the retail trader really needs to get three to one on every trade to make good money. You have to get that. Otherwise, you're just going to make your broker rich, right? And so... I do believe if you have a small account, one of the best things you can do is take a big risk, right? If you had $10,000, take a $1,000 thing, $1,000 trade, say, you know what? I'm gonna risk this entire $1,000 and I'm gonna make $10,000 or I'm gonna lose it all, right? That's okay too, if you have $10,000. Break it up into 10 10 different opportunities, right? But the reality of the matter, is that a small account, it's just going to take a very, very long time to get a small account to a bigger account. And everybody in this business is telling you the exact opposite. How to take a small account and turn it into a big account in a very short period of time? But it's just not going to work, right? To give you an example, I have one student who started with me with a $5,000 account. It's three years later, and his $5,000 count three years later is still only around $17,000 or $18,000. But if you think about the return on that, that's really astounding, isn't it? It's over 100% a month, right? But can he quit his job? Can he? He's a waiter, right? Actually, he's not a waiter, he's a bartender. And uh, can he quit his job as a bartender? No, he can't. Because he, it's not enough money, right? But what he can do is he can build a track record and potentially go to investors and say, here, look at that. The last three years, I know it's only a small amount. It's only here, but I can now do this with a larger amount, right? So I always tell people, focus on becoming a good trader. Don't focus on the money that you're going to make, right? The money is a byproduct, Of becoming a disciplined, great trader. The money, if you focus on the money, zero, zero chance of making it. Focus on trading well. Focus on looking learning the difference between this is a good trade, this is a great trade, this is a fantastic trade, this is a poor trade. And then focus on the style of trading that you want to be. I only want to take fantastic trades. I only want to take good trades. I only want to take I'm willing to take all three trades, right? But you've got to have, you've got to be just focused on trading well, not the money that you make. It just, it's just such a bad, bad, bad outcome.
0: We have a question here. From, I'm curious to know this one. Craig is mentioning confidence. And you mentioned in the beginning that you didn't look at yourself as a professional trader, like more as someone who has to prove himself every day. So what do you think is the role of confidence in trading? Everything. Everything? So, how do you develop it? Everything everything it's It's everything.
1: I mean it it really is everything. It's what I've spent fifteen years developing a process to teach people confidence. right? That's my whole course, and again, I'm not trying to plug my whole course here. But my whole course is you sum it up into two things. It's a systematic approach to the market that tells you between a non-random good market or non-random great market and non-random fantastic market or randomness and building your confidence. Because if you think about what is confidence, right? Confidence, how can somebody have confidence? Well, there's two ways to get confidence, right? Number one is by being educated, right? And saying, okay, I know that So far, these particular groups of traders have supported this market at every time it dropped down to a certain price. So I can have confidence to lean against smart money, right? But that doesn't mean they're gonna show up again. It just means that they did, right? It means that they have been showing up and I can lean against that knowledge. So can I really have confidence that they're going to be there again? I don't know, right? I'm not in the boardrooms where they're making those decisions, right? But what I do know is that so far they have been doing something. So I have confidence that they were doing something. I don't have confidence it's going to happen again. So by building confidence, you have to be very, very careful because you have to have confidence in knowing that you're going to be if you're wrong, it's okay. That's a really important thing to understand. I'm perfectly fine with being wrong because I know where I'm wrong. If you don't know exactly where you're wrong and why you're wrong at that particular price point, wherever it is, above below the market, and know exactly why not because of some mathematical equation that an indicator is telling me, right? Because it's overbought. Who's who, who, who? who? (laughs) Like like, what, all of a sudden, everybody that thinks that Donald Trump's tax strategies are not going to go in, go through. You know how many indicators are flashing overbought right now? But they've been overbought for eight years now. And the market is overbought. Price earnings multiples are way off the chart. We are beyond the internet bubble right now as far as PE multiples are concerned. Corporate growth is sideways, but the market keeps making new highs, right? If I was following some indicator on that, I'd be so broke it wasn't even funny. I'd lose everything, right? But by understanding that I know exactly where I'm at, I can take a short trade, but I know where I'm wrong, right? And by understanding why am I wrong at that particular point in time, because price said I'm wrong and it always wins the fight. So having confidence is a really tricky, tricky, tricky thing. Again, it goes back to what I am saying. Don't spend your time looking at charts don't for the wrong reasons. Spend your time about learning the what's driving that chart. Okay? And if you understand what's driving that chart, And then you can have confidence, right? I'll give you a very quick example, including the Forex market. So going back to May of this year, the Fed came out and was pretty hawkish. They said three interest rate hikes in 2017. But the Euro blasted off like a rocket ship right after that Fed day, on that Fed day. And it went 400 points higher against the US dollar. Now, I was shorting that all along the way. Right? I was shorting that the whole way up. Now, the confidence that I had was understanding that when interest rates go higher, the dollar is going to strengthen, right? And so I was confident in the trade because I knew that's the driver of the US dollar, but the reality was giving me a completely different reality, right? And my account just was going, dum, 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 right? And ultimately, the trade eventually came back down to a point, but then it took off again because on the next Fed meeting, it got they got dovish. So even though I was wrong and price proved me wrong, I had confidence enough to know that the driver of that asset was going to at least give me an opportunity to get out of this trade, right? I didn't know if I was going to make money, but I knew because I understood the driver enough and I looked at history enough times, how many times in the past when the Fed came out hawkish and said three interest rates, four interest rates, what did the market reaction do at those particular point in time? I knew I wasn't going to be totally wrong but i understood the driver behind that movement i was wrong about it but i understood it enough where i could ultimately mitigate the damage and over the next 6 months i ended up getting back all my money even though i immediately lost a big chunk of money by by leaning against the driver and understanding how that driver was important to the market You're not gonna pinpoint the right entries, but you're gonna be able to manage your trades more effectively. Where did my confidence come from when I was losing money? Down 10%, down 15%, down 20%. My account went down 20% on that trade. Where did my confidence come from? My confidence came from the fact that I understood the effect of interest rates on a market, and I understood that I must be missing something. So I started looking for what I was missing. So I said, okay, this is the complete opposite of what the driver should be doing. So then I went on a quest to say, okay, if the U.S. is going to raise interest rates three times, then why is the euro rallying so much? What am I missing? I'm missing something. So my analysis was incorrect. The confidence came from the ability to go and search for what I was missing for. Ultimately, I found what I was missing, the missing driver that I that I had missed out, and I was able to turn the Mm -hmm. trade right around. Mm -hmm. But so the point is confidence is everything. And but your confidence can't be based on things that you don't understand. Right. This is another reason why I don't like indicators. Your confidence can't be based upon an equation, a mathematical equation. It's got to be based on something that the people that are smart money, which are 90% of the volume, how are they thinking, right? What are they thinking? What are they doing? And when you can understand the players behind the market, then exploiting the market becomes that much easier. Again, it goes down right where right, 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 right I said from the very beginning.
0: Wonderful. So, and well, at this time, we're not using a stop loss. Or did you? Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, No. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I moved my stop loss three times on that particular trade. Listen, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, there's a ton of educators that will lie to you and tell you, but I'm human, right? At the end of the day, I knew that I could recover from the trade, right? So I was confident in my... Understanding of how the macroeconomics worked. I was confident in understanding how the central bank worked. I was confident in understanding the money supply. And so in that particular case, I had a stop loss. I moved, I should have hedged the trade, to be very honest with you, in hindsight. But um again, confidence was everything. Yes, I went through a two-month, almost three-month drawdown, but I eventually got it back. And it came back not from me going and searching for another educator, not from me going and looking for another indicator, not from me going and looking for some other trick. It came back to me going and saying, okay, I've missed a piece of the fundamental puzzle. And I know that on currencies, they're entirely fundamentally driven. Very, very rarely are currencies driven for any other reason but fundamentals, very, very rarely, very rarely. Occasionally, sentiment comes in, but fundamentals are 99% of what the institutions and the banks and the Federal Reserve and the central banks make their decisions upon. So it's entirely fundamentally driven. So I just went and searched for what I was missing because I was just missing one piece of it. And I was confident enough to know I was going to make all that money back, right? I didn't keep adding to the trade. I just managed the trade in a way that I was able to get it all back at a later time, right? So no, I didn't use a stop loss.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Cool. We have uh, Rylan who's been asking, can you make this 10% per month? trading end of the day because a lot of people watching this they're gonna have their day job that they go to work every day and that makes it tougher to day trade sometimes so would you be able to still make 10 percent by trading only like the daily chart
1: yeah absolutely um listen you'll make a lot more money swing trading than you ever will day trading folks
0: that's interesting that's completely opposite of what most people say so i'm curious too. absolutely
1: You'll make a lot more money swing trading than you will day trading, but here's the kicker. The problem with swing trading is you gotta have a lot of money to start because it takes longer, right? So when I was starting in this business, it was when I I became a retail trader, quote unquote, was after the crash of 1987, I was dead broke. I lost everything in the crash of 1987. And I think I had maybe $20,000 to my name so if I was going to swing trade that, there was pretty much no way in the world I was going to pay all of my bills with $20,000 and making $2,000 a month. Uh, not going to happen, right? So if I wanted to do this full time, I had to go to the smaller time frames and learn how to day trade because with a day trading account and leverage and margin, you can generate more returns but it has a limit to it. So let me put it to you this way. If I could, if I had a million dollars cash and I wanted, let's say $100,000 cash and I was living off $10,000 a month, I would never day trade. I wouldn't do it, I'd just do that. But then all your money would be going towards paying your bills, right? Mm-hmm. So now you've got a problem. You're paying all your bills, you got $100,000 cash, but you you don't grow you don't get any assets, you you can't grow your account. So to be a successful swing trader in a realistic world in today's economy where for most people, I imagine like five to $10,000 is an average monthly expense, right, for most people, right? So you better have, if you wanna do it full time, you better have like a quarter million dollars if you wanna live off of trading, swing trading alone. So if you don't have that type of money, but you still wanna be a good trade, you still wanna trade, if you become a day trader, you're gonna make more money because eventually you can get hired at a prop firm, a good prop firm, and I'm not talking about one of these bogus ones you see online, okay? Take my course for $5,000 and I will sponsor you, not that nonsense, okay? I'm talking about a real prop firm that gives you their money, but to do that, you got to show them a track record two, three years, right? Take that track record, go to a real prop firm. They'll start you out with a half a million dollars of buying power day one, right? If you got a good track record. Right? Their money not yours. So um the point being that uh, to get to your question, um, if you don't have a lot of money, and you want to be a full-time trader, you kind of have to day trade, right? Because day trading is really the only way where you can can make enough money that you can pay all of your bills without having another job, right? But if 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 you have money, and I would highly recommend you just swing trade. It's so much easier.
0: Cool. That's oh, interesting yeah. to hear. It's a different perspective, but I really appreciate it. And how can people find you if they want to connect with you or reach out after?
1: Yeah, they can just go in. I'll give them a free hour right now on Skype. Just sign up, book a time. We'll talk about your situation. I think as you can see, I'm a big believer in not putting square pegs in the round holes. And I think in trading, you really have to customize things to the individual, right? I can get anyone from point A to point Z, right? But how we get there is gonna be individualized for each person, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very big on believing that you have to have things custom tailored to who you are, how much money you have, what your goals are, how much time you can put in, what's your age, what are your outcomes, And you really have to design things individually for people. And I'm a big, 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 big big believer in that.
0: Awesome. Any other last piece of advice we'd like to give people before we end up?
1: Yeah. um, I'd like to just talk real quickly for a few minutes um, because, you know, Etienne, I I went to your Facebook group and I really liked it, right? Mm -hmm. I really, really liked it. I don't say that very much. Like about a lot of things in the trading world, there's not a lot of things I like but I really liked your Facebook group because I really found a spirit of people trying to help each other, genuinely trying to help each other. And that is really powerful because when you have a whole bunch of people looking at a whole bunch of different things, you can weed out the good from the bad. But one of the things that I found on your Facebook group, which was a repeated theme was psychology. Okay. And I really want to just leave people with an understanding of this. From someone that's read every psychology book ever written on the topic of training, from someone that's bought, that's paid cognitive psychologists tens of thousands of dollars to help me with my problems, I still didn't use a stop. Here it is all these years later, and I still didn't use a stop in that particular case going back to me. So, the answer that I quickly realized is that this whole idea of psychology is so misunderstood because I don't think people really understand that you're always going to make mistakes. The only way you're not going to make any mistakes is by becoming a quant, right? And by basically writing an algo so that you become completely out of the equation. And that's why so many algos are prevalent these days because psychology is such a big issue. But here's the good news. The answer is that you're never going to fix all your psychological problems, but you can manage them. Okay. And don't look to the trading world to manage your psychology problems. The answer is in Meditation. It's the reason why I meditate a lot every morning. Breathing techniques. Okay. And understanding yourself. And the fourth most important thing, and really, really, really critical, the best way to solve all your psychology problems is to find a style or method or asset or way of trading that matches who you are find a way to trade if you want to stay with forex that's great but either maybe go to four hour charts maybe go to dailies maybe go down to one minute right find what you're good at stop trying to change the world around trying to try and change your internal world change the world around you to match who you are and that is where you'll thrive You know, I've had traders, I've tried to teach them how to trade on one minute charts. They just lose money, lose money, lose money, lose money. I bump them up to 30 minute charts, doing the exact same thing, the exact same methodology. Boom, they knock it out of the ballpark. And now they're making tremendous amounts of money just with a time change shift, right? So you gotta find out who you are. You're never really gonna change who you are too much. You can modify who you are but you're never going to change who you are too much. You can manage who you are, but you're never going to change who you are, right? You can manage, you can modify. So create a world around you so that who you are doesn't get into too much trouble. (laughs) So it's simple,
0: right? Wonderful. Really really powerful.
1: Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, thank you.
0: Reach out to uh, Steve if you need any help. And I will uh, see you guys pretty soon. Ciao.
1: Okay, well, thank you again, guys. It's been a lot of fun. I'll do this anytime you guys want to do it. I really enjoyed it.
0: And that was it for this special episode with Steve Patterson. I hope that you can get inspired by this and that you have things to apply. Steve provided some amazing exercise and I really recommend that you start applying them in the market and kind of see what it gives you, what it provides. Very interesting. And if you want to get coached by Steve, he has an amazing program that I've only heard great things about from his past student. The link is going to be in the show notes over at desire 2 forward slash 119. Let him know that you found out about him through this podcast and he'll give you a discount. Anyway, I'll see you next week for the next episode of the Desire2Trade podcast. Ciao.